welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. As you may have made a note of already, this week's episode is dedicated to a mailbag segment or an AMA or whatever you like to call it. These are your deep-seated political questions. I put the shout-out or the request out on the socials over the weekend. So that was on Reddit and Facebook and Twitter. Uh, not X, Twitter. I, I I will never call it X. I won't even call it X, formerly known as Twitter. It's Twitter. It's not my fault. Elon Musk doesn't understand successful branding when he gets it. Um, and the newsletter, too. Uh, I put out a special edition of the newsletter on Sunday, which I... Admittedly, I never promote the newsletter on the podcast the way that I should, guelphpolitico.substack.com. And I put out a special edition on Sunday to talk about Guelph Politico uh, stuff generally, and I'll, I'll get to that before the end. Um, the point is, I put out a call for questions, and I got some. I got a baker's, well, not a baker's dozen, but a baker's dozen is 13, so if you get seven, does that a baker's half dozen? I don't know, but I'm going to go with it because I have seven, seven questions and a, and a rant at the end. All right. So I have, I have it all on this one. I have them all the questions I should say on on this one thing here. And some of the questions are a bit longer than others. There's a a preamble to some of these questions. Um, And because people took the time, effort and energy to write in, I want to give them all the, the due that um, they deserve. Um, this one was kind of the, sh- the first one is kind of the short one. <laughs> uh, is Doug Ford done? Uh, I mean, this is provincial stuff, uh, but I mean, still relevant because uh, Guelph is in the province of Ontario. It's an interesting question. Uh, people may recall that back in I don't know if I can't remember if it was the 2018 election or the 2022 election on on doing the CFRU election night broadcast. Christopher Curry said that he did not think that Doug Ford would make it to the end of term. And again, I can't remember if it was, I'm pretty sure he said that in 2018, but he might've said it in 2022 as well, or in addition to, um, I mean, a lot of stuff happened between the, the 2020, the 2018 and the 2022 election. Um, COVID happened. Um, so that may have, um, prompted Doug Ford to stay on. Look, I was surprised in the beginning, you know, that he wanted to be the leader of the PC party. I'm actually, I'm actually surprised he hung it out to a second election. I'm surprised he still seems dedicated to, to, to it right now. I think people are understandably looking at Doug Ford falling on his sword for the green belt stuff, especially, but a lot of the, the, the various crises we're experiencing with, homelessness and uh, social services underfunding the autism file which was there's new some about that on the weekend and we're finally funding as many families or almost as many families as we were before the provincial government started tinkering in, t- in 2018 there's health care obviously um th- to go back about my, my sort of my personal feelings about doug ford i as, as i was saying i'm surprised he put his name forward to be PC party leader in 2018. It seemed like he had been, he was done with politics in 2014 or uh, in 20, yeah, 2014 when, you know, he was a city councilor. 
Um, he famously ran for mayor in lieu of his brother, who was diagnosed with cancer just before the nominations closed, and it seemed to be the only way um, the the Ford family could convince Rob not to uh, or or to take it easy on himself and not run for mayor was to have Doug run for mayor instead. But I mean that that seemed like um, kind of a, a a family calculation any more than Doug having a desire to run for mayor. Doug was not going to run. Or actually, he hadn't applied to run for re-election in War Two. I think he had a lot of, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, dreams or ambitions that he and Rob would be essentially co-mayors, and that's not how it turned out. And, you know, Rob had a lot of his own ideas about what the mayor wanted, uh, what the mayor should do and what city council should do. He was grossly outnumbered by city council, which, you know, played into Doug Ford erasing half of city council four years later when he became premier. Um, but of course, Rob too lost power and influence after some of his personal problems came to light. So I think Doug got fed up. The surprise was that Doug came out in 2017 and said, I'm going to run for mayor in 2018. And then the PC leadership slot opened up. And I do wonder how much that was just about rubbing it in John Tory's face. I think he had a personal beef with John Tory. Interesting that it, <laughs> eventually it came around to uh, him and John Tory being buddy, buddy. So, I mean, I, it, it surprises me all the time because I don't know how much Doug Ford likes being a politician. Say what you want about Rob Ford. He liked being a politician. He liked being a city councilor. He liked, um, the community outreach and the, the phone calls. I mean, it's one of the reasons why he was such a terrible mayor is because he was such a good retail politician as a city councilor. It's a little bit different when you're a mayor. Um, and, and you know, that's, that's a bone that Doug never had in his head. Um, at this point, you know, looking ahead, I do wonder if this is not a situation dissimilar to where Justin Trudeau's at now. Uh, I think a lot of people, and I've seen these op-eds come up, you know, is Justin Trudeau going to resign before the next election? And I, I don't think he is. And I don't think that's so much about trying to win the next election, but anticipating a loss. And it's much, it's it's better politically if the current leader goes down with the ship as opposed to tagging in a new leader and then them going down with the ship. So I think Doug Ford is probably in a similar position. You also have to look at the opposition benches. It's like, well, Merritt Stiles is going into her first election. Liberals don't have a leader right now, though it looks like it probably, unless, you know, God intervenes, it's going to be Bonnie Crombie for the Liberals. But, you know, we'll have to see. Question number two. Uh, why does Guelph operate the two-counselor system when the KPMG report highlights the costs, that this costs the city more, instead of having two part-time, presumably based on the salary, they could have one full-time counselor dedicated solely to their duties. Uh, I mean, it's... I think there are a number of things. Number one is there was a pretty strong rejection of having eight wards, one counselor from each ward, uh, from a lot of, you know, I, I call them the usual suspects, the people you usually see delegating at city council. I do wonder... If, if we were to, like, survey the community and say to them, if it's, like, an impartial body, like, take, if, if I were to run a poll, I wonder what, what that would look like if people would say, if, if I, if you had, if we had eight wards with one counselor each, or 12 wards, or six wards with two counselors each, 
Let's get the math right in my head, shall we? Which do you prefer? I mean, at the end of the day, calling them part-time counselors is merely a comment on their salary. A, a lot of counselors work full-time hours. Um, it's just, you know, the nature of the game because they have to read the, the, the policy briefs and the information reports and the council agendas. And all the counselors are on one board uh, or outside committee or even two or three. So, there's, you know, there's a lot of work. And, you know, some counselors are area chairs. So, it, you know, you do think, wouldn't it not be more appealing if you just have it be your full-time job? It's worth noting that would, Guelph would be one of the few municipalities where being a city counselor is a full-time job. Um, I, I think, I think what's really difficult for me is, is, is more on the rep representation side, um, out of that debate in, I guess it was 2021, uh, or 2020, um, but, you know, the idea that having eight wards where you would have four north, four south, four north of the river, four south of the river, that made a lot more sense in terms of balance. I mean, Guelph is really kind of like, we, we don't want to think about it this way, but it, it really is kind of bifurcated north and south of the river. Um, you know, even though the, the issues in the West End are not necessarily the issues in the core and, you know, all this and other thing, but, you know, where are we growing? We're growing in the East and we're growing in the South. Um, and, and the problem with the, the way the system is set up right now, we are most definitely going to have to have another discussion about the ward lines um, before, well, not necessarily the next election, but definitely before the election after that. The the way the, the line was redrawn between Ward 5 and 6 just moved 10,000 people into Ward 5, essentially. Um, it... But it, it doesn't solve the core problem, which is that Ward 6 and the, the areas in Ward 6 are in a perpetual state of growth. And it will catch up, you know, to, to the disproportionate numbers they were at at some point. And even besides that, if you, you know, walking around uh, neighborhoods in the south end, it's not like walking around neighborhoods in, you know, downtown or uh, in the ward. Um you know, there's a lot of resident, lot more residential uh, density in Ward Six as compared to some other wards. So, I mean, I, I, I'm not, I don't know what was in the heads of the councilors, but I think change is hard, and radical change is especially hard, and it's just easier to keep up the status quo. There wasn't sort of like a major, a major justification to make the leap. Um, that would have sort of forced the counselors in that vote to leave the status quo behind. Although, if I do remember correctly, it was a 10-3 vote. I think some of the counselors did vote against implementing the, the, the system as it stands right now. But there it is. Okay, question number three. And this is, has a bit of a long, a long preamble. I'm kind of wondering about the base that voted for Danny Drew last municipal election. While it was a series of municipal elections across Ontario that turned out highly favorable for incumbents, 
They, meaning Danny, came second behind Camp Guthrie with about 13% of the vote amongst a pool of candidates. Normally, I would consider this marginal. But Danny is a self-declared communist when it comes to provincial and federal communist parties, which are pretty marginal, if at all. They receive a fraction of the percent of the vote. They can get pretty problematic in recent history with internal issues and platform points, in my opinion, anyway. So I'm curious about why. Is it the lack of party labels that comes with municipal elections? Does it have any relation to Guelph's roots? Was it the lack of serious competition among other non-incumbent candidates? Does the average municipal election voter know the platforms of who they're voting for? Does Guelph actually have a non-insignificant base that identifies with these politics? Yeah, no, I, I, I think your point about this, the lack of serious competition among non-incumbents, I think that's, I think that's where the distinction comes. Um, I would keep in mind that in you know the federal and provincial campaigns, Guelph usually has a communist candidate. I can only think of maybe one or two elections in the last twenty years where there wasn't a communist party candidate, but. If that, I think I think it was maybe one tops, but I I think that when it comes to those big elections in the money that's involved, uh, at least with the four major parties, um, you see the communists kind of being outgunned there. It, it's a little bit different when you're talking about municipal elections where there isn't a lot of money at play, relatively speaking. Um, I mean, when you're raising tens and tens of thousand dollars when you're the incumbent mayor, obviously there's a lot of money at play. But I think the lack of competition thing was was at its heart. I think because Danny jumped in um, <laughs> first ahead of the deadline, they were able to uh, galvanize. I guess you want to call it the anyone but Guthrie vote. I would also say too that Danny probably had a lot of really solid ideas, um, as opposed to uh, I'm trying to if their names escape me at the moment. But you know there were there ended up being seven people running for mayor, but I think you know you had Sheila McFarland, who's sort of well known in local conspiracy circles. Um, you had the U of G Humber professor who, I don't know, seemed to be running as a, I don't know, an ex re experiment. I don't know. He he. I I I didn't know who he was until he put his name on the ballot. Um, Nick Ross, of course, uh, had run for mayor before, and and because of his disabilities, you know, can't be sort of a, a you know a, a candidate in the traditional sense. So, I think Danny was the most visible. Danny had a full platform. Uh, Danny had, you know, be, notedly being communist, being non-binary, has a, a kind of fearlessness. And and I think it just, it, it was a place. And this is this is not to disrespect Danny at all. Just it was a place for people who would not vote for Camp Guthrie to put their vote. Um, I'm not sure anyone really thought Danny could be mayor. It would have been interesting if Danny Drew, if we have a mayor Danny Drew right now. Uh, I would definitely find that interesting, but I'm not sure uh, if if people were dedicated to that idea so much as dedicated as uh, making sure a, a non 
Guthrie vote was counted. I think this has been something. I, I think it's a it's a it's a self feeding uh, loop where you have a strong incumbent. Nobody wants to stand up against that strong incumbent because they don't want to perhaps roger their future political aspirations by losing bigly, so to speak, to um, an, an incumbent. But at the same time, because there's no serious competition to the incumbent, it's hard to get attention for that race, and people just end up marking the ballot. I mean, this is kind of a default, I think, with municipal elections, especially on the school board side. The default is to just mark it for the people who are already there because, you know, well-oiled machines and all that. If the machine is running, the, the the person currently running it can't be that bad. I I think the question, as we sort of look to twenty twenty six now, is if um, Cam Guthrie, who will but then be if he decides to run for re-election, will be running for a fourth term. Um, it, worth noting, next November will mark ten years of of Cam Guthrie being mayor of Guelph. Um, will you know, that's, you know, sort of create an opportunity to have some competition, perhaps a current city councilor is thinking about it. I don't, I, I don't know. Nobody's, nobody's told me anything, but you never know. Uh, question number four. I'm not sure if I'm really answering any of these questions, but I hope maybe you're, you're getting some, something out of it, dear listener, wherever you are. Uh, question number four, is the city going to bring back internet voting? The best voter turnout in a local election was the year we had internet voting. We haven't gotten even close. Yeah, no, forty. I think it was 43% in 2014, and it was 33% in 2018, and I think it was 28, 29 last year. So it's a point. I mean, I I don't know what makes up for that. If it because 2014 was a change election, that was one of those elections where there was an incumbent and strong competition against that incumbent. Um, in the in the mayor spot, I mean. Uh, so that could have had something to do with it. Could, internet voting could have been a factor. Um, I, I think. Hmm. I don't want to make promises I can't keep, but I think one of the things I've I've sort of appreciated. You know, keeping one eye on the accessibility advisory committee is that um, I think internet voting is inevitable to an extent. I think we have such a strong um, advocacy piece in our local disabled local disabled community that um, they they very strongly want internet voting because it just it's easy. It answers everyone's sort of disability whether you're you know you're sensitive to you know environmental conditions whether you are autistic and perhaps sensitive to crowds and noise if it's a physical disability that you have um and you know there's been a lot of discussion about what it looks like but i mean one of the things and i think perhaps if members of the aac were we're here on this call right now might agree is that we're throwing so many different opportunities for them to look at that will present a number of accessible options when the most accessible options is internet voting. And one of the big barriers to internet voting um, has been the election list, the, the voters list, which has been managed by the Municipal Property Assessment Corporation and 
I think, I'm not sure how far along this is, but um, the Ontario government announced last term that they were going to move the voters list for municipal elections from MPAC to Elections Ontario, which just makes so much sense, especially when you have provincial elections in the spring and municipal elections in the fall, because you can just transfer that list over because that list gets updated um, when people, you know, move. Um, when new voters come of age, so when people turn 18, or, or when people become citizens and thus have the right to vote, um, you know, usually around election time, there's that's when you get that full court press and you see the ads, you know, make sure you're on the voters list. And that seems, that that will address a lot of the security concerns because the, the, the impact list, and a lot of people make this point that, you know, you live somewhere, and unless somebody took the time, effort, and energy to change their impact uh, registration, you know, one house can get seven different, you know, voter cards. Which, if every one of those cards come with login information um, to vote online, that gets a little bit dicey. But I think internet voting is inevitable at this point. It's just a matter. I, and I've called for this the last two after the last two elections. I was like, let's have a great big community meeting where we lay it all out we bring in the the internet security experts we bring in the election security experts and say these are the these are the risks these are the rewards this is how we can mitigate the the, the risks i i wish and this is not to say that members of our clerk's office aren't doing anything I'm, they're very very busy of course but i just i would like there to be some sort of community engagement on this because um, I, I think there are a lot of people who want internet voting. I think there are a lot of people who want internet voting for the wrong reasons, like convenience. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think there are a lot of people also on internet voting for the right reasons, which is, you know, to allow greater freedom to uh, people in our community with disabilities because it just seems like the easiest, most straightforward way of creating that accessibility and meeting our disabled community where they are is to give them that freedom of, of the internet vote. Um, but I, 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 I would like, I would like that big community discussion because I, it's one of those things where as soon as it's on an agenda, people go to their corners uh, number five, question number five, the Guelph police are asking for a 5% increase for next year. That seems like a lot, especially when everyone's talking about how it's going to be a really hard budget to get to this year. And the police are already the biggest portion of the budget. Can council do anything about this? Uh, short, ans short answer is no. Um, the Guelph police set their budget. Uh, city council can hear it and city council can approve or city council can make changes or city council can say, no, we don't like this budget. Go back and do it again. In that scenario, the police go to a, an oversight board, which is, run, which is run by the government of Ontario and present like, hey, our city council isn't letting us have the budget we want. And then usually more often than not, this, this oversight board imposes the current budget um or, or rather the budget the police want onto city council and that's a problem that has to be solved at the provincial level uh the, the province would have to make that 
change to the legislation um, to, to say that city councils are the final arbiters about the budget for their police services. I can understand why that perhaps would be a hard pill to swallow because you don't want too many, too much politics in your policing and vice versa. But it's going to be, you know, it is going to be tough. I think the, the, the proposed increase is another 5% for the operating. I will note that the, the capital budget was approved at the police board a couple of weeks ago. And they took a, a couple of big infrastructure projects out of the capital budget just to acknowledge that, you know, there is a budget crunch going on. Um, probably for the best, considering the, you know, we just completed the police headquarters last year, three years over budget, th or three years late, $3 million over budget. So, um, the, the flip of this, too, is that the, the police have been doing their own investigations into staffing. They have their own KPMG report that says that they are actually pretty undermanned. And a lot of this has to do with officers who are often definitely, um, coping with injuries on the job, whether that's physical injury or mental injury, uh, PTSD and the like, and there's nobody, they're having trouble sort of filling the staffing gaps because somebody goes on leave, you don't know when they're going to be back, so that you're, you're essentially one person down. Got to keep in mind, too, the biggest part of any budget is the people, like 50% of the Guelph budget is salaries. The city of Guelph budget. The 50% 50 is just paying people to come to work. Um, I understand why people think that we, we shouldn't pay the police more, given the optics. Given everything that's gone on the last couple, you know, people may be thinking of... Um, oh, I can't remember his name for a minute. The constable who's fighting his disciplinary action... Um, <laughs> I've written about that too. You know, it's a bit it's a bit hard to make the case when this guy who a police tribunal said should be fired and he's appealing while still getting paid and he has been paid for almost a decade um while his case has been heard. I mean, that, those are sort of like the the examples that prove the rule, but it it does seem like there has been staffing issues. Um, at the police service, um, Chief Kobe will tell you, and he's told the police board this, you know, at any given time, there's a dozen officers patrolling this whole city. Dozen officers. That, I mean, that, that doesn't sound like very many when you consider the size of Guelph. The Guelph is relatively small and, you know, that's, that's kind of where we're coming from. Um, the pro, I, I think the problem isn't that the police get a blank check. I think the problem is that police get a blank check and nobody else does at the end of the day. The real, here's something to keep an eye on in the budget process. The Guelph library board has approved the library budget with a 8% increase as they're staffing up for the new main library in 2026. Um, how many city councilors are going to swallow that pill? Um, that's going to be something to keep an eye on. I, and, you know, you don't want it to be pitting services against each other, of course, but, I mean, there's going to be some pitting. I think it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough budget. Speaking of tough budgets, here's question number six. I'm not quite sure how to answer this one, but it's it's well worth phrasing. 
and and talking about I'm in my late 50s and have kids in their late 20s. My husband and I are having to move to Cambridge slash KW next year due to the extremely high cost of living in Guelph. I've lived here for about 55 years. My daughter is a restaurant worker in town who's doing well for herself, yet she also has to share a house with four other people to make ends meet. Already it feels like Guelph is fairly neatly divided into the has a lot versus the barely scraping by. Do you have an opinion on whether it's ever likely to get better, or is this just the new reality? Are any of our council members or other influential people really making an effort to help those of us who can't afford the quote-unquote new Guelph anymore? I think there's there are significant efforts being made. The question is, um, can they make the right efforts, uh, or, or can those efforts... I mean, look, coming out of the housing meeting last month, and... The, I'm recording this before the housing meeting that's happening this week. A lot of those recommendations are um, advocate more, advocate to the province, advocate to the feds, advocate to this group. Um, I mean, our our city council is is not very powerful when you look at it, Um, especially on these issues um, where we don't control our own social services um, we don't build affordable housing. We don't have a housing department. The province and the federal government have both effectively washed their hands of the idea uh, of building housing. I don't think things get better until there's a massive investment in affordable housing. By affordable, I mean housing anyone can buy or rent. And that only comes if the province and the feds decide that they have a part to play. Or when they decide they have a part to play, if we're being optimistic. The thing that I've struggled with, there was a news story last week or the week before, it was before Thanksgiving, now that I think about it, which was a couple of weeks ago, um, about how people are making decisions about, do I buy crappy food, which is cheaper? Do I buy nutritious food, which is more expensive? Because, you know, money's so tight. And my reaction is like, this isn't a new story. The reaction is that it's now hitting people who used to be considered part of the middle class. Now they're having to make those decisions. Now they aren't as socially mobile as they once were. And now we're seeing it as a crisis. The fact of the matter is, for many, many, many people, wealth wasn't affordable 20 years ago. It's just now hitting people who used to be able to get by in Guelph. And that's like, that's not a slur or, or, or a, a thing against anyone. The affordability crisis has been creeping up higher and higher and higher. And a lot of it has been driven by the pandemic. A lot of you know inflation and things like that. A lot of it has been driven by just not dealing with stuff and putting stuff back. Housing. Until, was it last year or earlier this year? Until Grace Gardens opened, not a single unit of social housing had been built in Guelph in 30 years. Not a single unit. And it's, you know, it's easy to assign blame, but, you know, it's each, you know, 
each year goes by one year at a time as you keep pushing it off and pushing it off and then sooner or later 30 years go by and then you're like oh my god we haven't built any affordable housing in a while i think time has just caught up to us i think i think it's caught up to us on a lot of these things and the question is are we brave enough to push for the solutions we need because i think for a long time there's been the point of view like well i'm comfortable why can't this other person pull themselves up by their bootstraps and you know it's, it's not that hard and you know look at the debate about minimum wage i remember when kathleen Wynne, uh her government boosted the minimum wage from 11 dollars to 15 dollars. there was outrage people were predicting doom and gloom oh my like every retail outlet in ontario is going to close they're going to move out they're going to cut hours. They're going to cut staff. Is that what happened? No. <laughs> it's not what happened. In fact, a lot of retail places, a lot of service industry places are having trouble hiring people. Um, of course, you know, the, we're even further away from a living wage now uh, than we were, when was 2015? Eight years ago? <laughs> Um, and I, I also happen to, to know that the, the living wage, as determined by the Ontario Living Wage Network, is going to go up when they release those calculations next month. So, I mean, to, to, to answer the question, I don't know for sure. I don't, I don't know exactly what needs to change. I hope it changes. If... Council is indeed going to adapt a policy of housing as a human right. That means everyone who doesn't have a house should get a house. And I don't know how you do that. Um, leaning on the market system. And that's where our, gov our, our upper levels of government seem to be. Um, Pierre Polivare, likely the next Prime Minister of Canada, you see his ads where he's like, I'm going to cut the red tape. It's like, well, hate to break it to you, Pierre, but I think Doug Ford's bend all the red tape but like you know it's 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 a bit it's a really easy thing to say cut the red tape well what happens when there's no more red tape to cut i think we're there and i don't think the housing starts are rolling in and in fact you know i think this year will probably go down as one of the the lowest years for housing starts, even amidst of all these Bill 23 and all these changes, unless there's a whole bunch of units coming up in the last two planning meetings of the month or of the year, um, th this is probably going to be on the low side in terms of the number of units approved. I mean, we do have the Royal Brock development at this week's planning meeting and the windmill application is being heard. That's about 13, 1,400 units. So, I, mean, I don't know, maybe. We might get there. But there'll have to be like another pretty massive project like that or two. I don't know if that answered your question. I hope, um, I hope it offered some insight. And, and some, you know, I feel that. Like, I've never been able to afford a house in Guelph. I've never been in a, in a position where I've been able to afford a house in Guelph. I'm lucky I have a place to live in Guelph, frankly. You know, um, one of these days, my landlord might realize that uh, he could raise the rent $500 and still have one of the cheapest places in town. And, you know, that'll be that'll be a bad day. That'll be a really bad day. I might have to move. You know. 
Oh, that was a bummer. Number seven. Um, I would like to know about the status of the City of Guelph's Waste Resource Innovation Center. I have a relative who works there and was told by the relative that there is a possibility of the WRIC becoming privatized. Any news or information you might have might have on this subject would be appreciated. Um, yes. Uh, I don't know if privatized is the right word. I do know... I did find a Kitchener Record article that used the word privatize. And I'm not, again, I'm not 100% sure that's correct. Uh, what is happening is that the recycling programs in Ontario are being shifted to a producer pay system, meaning that municipalities will not be picking up the bill for uh, essentially picking up our recyclables anymore. Um, it's going to be producers. So, like, think about big companies that are in charge of packaging, um, whether that's like Walmart, Amazon, you know, fast food chains, anywhere that packages anything. The onus is going to be on them to cover the cost of recycling starting in 2026. And there's actually a City of Guelph page that sort of lays this out. I, I confess I'm not 100% clear on the details myself. This might be a, a rousing call at some point to to create a podcast or an article or something that can sort of break this down for people in sort of plain, simple English. Um, but essentially, the $1.5 million that goes in the, in the city budget that goes into covering the cost of picking up the recycling and sorting the recycling and and um you know reducing and reusing and all that is going to be on is, is not going to be paid for out of your property taxes anymore it's going to be paid for under this new producer pay system um i'm going to read a bit from the page here um, it's on the city website under living under climate change and the environment under garbage and recycling. And you can find the link easy enough. I'll put it in the show notes too. Um, from July 23 to the end of December 25, all municipalities in Ontario will transition their blue box program to a new collection model. Under the new bottle, companies that produce blue box materials will be required to fully fund and operate the recycling system. This will streamline because what can be recycled? depends on where you live or you know what municipalities some municipalities do more in have more recyclable items than others when you're putting stuff in the the blue box or the blue bin or whatever you have um guelph the transition to a new block new new blue box collector will occur by january 2025 so in just over a year um other municipalities are going to be changing sooner. Um, it's, it's sort of been left up to the municipalities to to, to to determine how fast and how quickly they adapt. So in 2026, there will be two new enhancements to the program. Ontarians will be able to recycle more types of materials. Um, and they'll be the same no matter where you live in Ontario. And there will be free blue box collection for schools, nonprofit retirement and long-term care home, and multi-residential properties, so apartments and condos. I think there's a caveat that that's going to be like new um, properties. Again, I'm not 100% sure about what all this looks like, and I'm sure we're going to hear a lot about it in the coming months. But essentially, I don't know if you want to call it privatizing. It, it 
does feel a bit. It feels it's actually more like a public private partnership in a sense. Um because the city will still be picking this stuff up. Um we're just not going to be paying for it. At least from what I understand. Um the city will essentially be like a contractor doing this work for this consortium of producers who are uh, going to be paying for it. Um, again, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm again, I'm not 100% sure if that helps answer your question, but there are changes coming. And if anything else, you know, you've put this bee in my bonnet uh, questioner about sort of trying to, to get a handle on this. This has come to council a couple of times. It's been one of those like up and down um, things um, the city will still manage curbside collection of garbage, organics, and yard waste. So this just applies to recyclables. Um, the public drop-off and the transfer station and the hazardous waste will still be, you know, as as it is, I, I as it is right now. Um, anyway... Th- there are changes coming to the blue box, the blue bin. Um, so stay tuned for that. And I'm going to take this question away, much like we do at council meetings, take the question away and get better information for the questioner. Um, in terms of better information, nobody asked a question about local media, but I've had conversations with people about local media. A lot of people are concerned about the Trib not printing anymore. Um, What's going to happen there? Uh, you know, no more newspaper. There is still the Wellington Advertiser. It doesn't get delivered to your house, but it's still out there. It's still a newspaper. Um, you know, Guelph Today and, and the Village Media collection of, of sites is probably not going to grow so long as C18's in effect. A lot of people have talked to me about, you know, letters to the editor and you know, the, the community editorial boards and, you know, the various ways people used to be involved in the media, sharing their opinions, um, sharing their concerns. There just doesn't seem to be that community touch point anymore. And I 100% agree. I'm not sure what I can do um, as Guelph Politico guy to solve that. My My thing has always been... Uh, I, I don't want to bring other people on if I can't pay them. And certainly that includes, I mean, people offer me things like letters to the editor or, you know, unsolicited op-eds. And I'm more than happy to publish those things. But I, you know, I also, if I, if I go out to somebody and say, you person X, uh, with Z experience, I want to have you do a weekly column about topic Y, but I can't pay you. That doesn't feel right. So it, it's it, it, that that's sort of my concern is I, I don't want to take advantage of people, even if they're well-meaning and want to do that work. My opinion has always been if it's work, it should get paid like work. Um, informing a community should not be a for. Uh, I was going to say not should, should not be a for profit, um, but it, it should not be uh, a, 
a, a job without the proper financial incentives. It's work. It's work. We should treat it like work. And, you know, I've had a lot of people say, you should have volunteers. It's like, yeah, cool, but it's work. And if it's work, you should get paid like it's work. And you should be rewarded with a stipend or an honorarium or a salary. Um, but I, I do want to kind of figure out this community piece of it. Like, letters to the editor. Like, is there something I can do, like, setting up a a phone number, you know, like an answering service where people can leave a message and say, you know, hey, I saw this happen at the council meeting and I'm ticked off, or something like that. It's something I'm thinking about, and I'm open to suggestions. And one of the experiments here was, like, opening, you know... In, in, inviting this these questions and inviting input and asking people to take part so th- it's it's something i might look at doing more often uh i did put out a special edition to get to bring this thing full circle of, of the guelph politico tip sheet newsletter guelphpolitico.substack.com to sign up uh, I, I put it one out on sunday um that offered some key points um one of them is i i'm going to be opening up the opportunity to contribute through Substack financially um, starting on December 1st. So if you would like to contribute through Substack, um, you can announce your intention to, to do that now with the knowledge that on December 1st, I will start taking your money. Um, if you are someone who donates through Patreon or paypal or write even writes me a check and you want to do the Substack thing um what i'm telling people is choose one choose one that works best for you um i don't i i don't much mind what what works for you and what doesn't the reason why i'm opening up so many channels is people have you know things that they trust some people give to multiple patreons some people feel just much more comfortable writing a check and dropping it in the mail some people feel comfortable doing a monthly thing some people feel comfortable doing an annual thing it's entirely up to you um as 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 the people who pay to keep this thing going um if you can't, and this is another important bit, again, appreciating the, the, the question from earlier, these are tough times, financially speaking. Please don't give to Guelph Politico if it's in any way a financial hardship. There are ways you could help out by either going to your podcast app and leaving a star rating and a review, even if it's a short review. Um, sharing Guelph Politico stuff, if you get the tip sheet, um, and you like it, send it to other people who you know um, who might like it too. Um, if you know, you can still post Guelph Politico stuff on Twitter and and the 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 new Twitter sites like Blue Sky and Mastodon and Threads. Share the Guelph Politico stuff wherever you can. Um, engagement is key, please. And this is a plea to myself, too, because Lord knows I'm terrible with the social media posting if it's anything other than covering a meeting. And maybe that's maybe that's a me thing because I'm on Twitter a lot covering city council meetings. And so by the time it's over, I want to sh- shut the lid. I also got spammed with porn bots last week because I had like a, another non-related tweet that went viral. And so I started getting spammed with porn bots and I hated it. It's the block. I had to block a thousand people named Allison and Cindy last week. I hated it. Thank you, Elon Musk, wherever you are. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm going to try and do some, like, fundraising promo in November. So stay tuned for that. 
Um, please uh, just share Guelph Politico stuff. If, if you stuck on wings to help out other than money, just share the Guelph Politico stuff. It's appreciated. And s- keep sending questions if you like. Um, I'll try and do another one of these in the future. I'm also looking for guest suggestions for the 400th episode in a couple of weeks. And I'm looking for um, guest suggestions for the Christmas show. Like these little fireside chats that I have with different people for the Christmas episode. Send those suggestions as well. Uh, I would love to hear them. Uh, I guess that's a wrap for this week's show. I hope you liked it. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. And when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, you'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. Can you tell my voice is hoarse? Anyway, the music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. And I just proved I read this straight every single time. This is not pre-recorded. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me at Adam A. Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram and send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. And again, if you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And finally, for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca where I don't have to talk for 50 minutes. But uh, there will be a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week, a Halloween special. So stay tuned. And until then, I'll see you next time.